Welcome to Friars on the Farm Podcast. I'm Donovan, and coming to me via Skype is Roy. Glad to be here. How you doing, Donovan? Really good, really good. Hey, we got Sam Deister from MILB uh, with us today. Sam Deister writes for MILB and is a co-host of MILB's official podcast, the show before the show. The reason why I have a podcast, the reason why I started this podcast was listening to you guys on that. Uh, with he, So he does that with Tyler Mond and uh, Benjamin Hill, and occasionally with Kelsey Hennigan. I wanted to bring Kelsey in with that, because occasionally she'll be on, and uh, I know she's a part of the family. But welcome to the show, Sam Dykstra. Yeah, no, thank you very much for having me. This is uh, It's great to hear that like we inspired another podcast. Like that, That's really cool to hear. And uh, Yeah, we, we've been following you guys for a while, so it's a really fun time to be on. You're a bad influence. Yeah. Oh, my yes. God. So by the time I tweeted you guys out, I think it was, I don't know who does it, but it was like Tyler was like, Great! We had like th- I was like three episodes in. I maybe really just had started, but the beginning of these pot this podcast was just me doing game recaps and him and, and Han. He was, him and he was Han. literally he was reading was box. So school. bad. It's all right. I mean, that's you know that's how baseball started. That might as well be how baseball podcast. <laughs> hey, so how has the pandemic been going? It's been okay. It's been okay. I mean, I'm I'm lucky enough to you know be able to work remotely. It's a great thing about working online. So all that hasn't been that big of a worry. It it was a worry when there was no minor league baseball season to cover, but really proud of how we've gotten through that. And minor league baseball is very big. So there's lots of things to cover. And once there was major league season, there were prospects and call-ups and all that. So we made it through okay. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I'm, I'm here in Brooklyn. Um, I've got a car, luckily, that I park on the street and I'm able to take drives and, and stretch my legs a little bit. I got a park down the street. It's been okay. You have a car and you're in Brooklyn? I do, yeah. And you find uh, parking. When, when, when my nephew was born, I wanted to look into getting a car. And I live in a neighborhood. We, you t- we talked a little bit before. I do not live in Williamsburg. I do not live in a crowded area of Brooklyn. So it's easy for me to park on the street. Knock on wood. I say that, and it'll take me two hours. Next. Oh. So what? So are you from New York? Where did you grow up? What team did you follow? I grew up in western Massachusetts, just outside Springfield. So for minor league baseball fans at home, the Red Sox AAA team is moving to Worcester. Uh, Worcester is about... 30 minutes, 40 minutes east of where I grew up in Palmer, Mass. We're off exit eight off the Mass Pike. So as you can guess, I was a Red Sox fan growing up. Um, Actually, when I was younger, I got my own room. And the first thing we did is we painted the green monster on left side wall. Uh, And a fun tidbit about that was it was around the time Ted Williams passed away. So I wanted to think of like, what could I put on the Fenway Park scoreboard? That would be cool. So what we did, this was before the days of baseball reference and fan graphs and all. My dad like emailed somebody and we started this correspondence and we found out the exact score and the exact count and the exact picture when Ted Williams hit his famous last home run. The problem with that is the Red Sox were losing four to two to the Orioles. So oh. on my on my wall at home, the Red Sox are losing, but it's because Ted Williams was about to hit. That's very cool. So did you have the like the manual scoreboard where you drop in the letter, the numbers and stuff? I wish we were that cool. No, we did. We just painted it. Dude, it so it, it's not to scale. It's like halfway up the wall, but it does have the Sitco sign, which, uh, you know, is still there outside Fenway. And my dad, it, the wall was like pitched at a certain angle. So it was perfect. So the pitch was the sky that we painted blue and we put like planes in the sky and stuff. It was really neat. That's, that's awesome. His last home run wasn't the Ephus pitch, right? That was during the All-Star game. Someone threw him an Ephus pitch and he hit it out. But his last right. 
And you see him bounding around the base, just like, yeah. Yeah, the Ephus pitch, that was the all-star game. Uh, his last game was, I wish I could remember it, but John Uptike wrote a whole story about it. Anybody who has never read that story, go read. Uh, it, whenever I hear the phrase bandbox, I think of that story about Ted Williams' last at bat um, and, and hitting a home run. And not everybody knew that that was his last game. He kind of got the rest of the other games off. Yeah, that was just growing up. My, my grandma was from Maine. Uh, my mom's side of the family was all from Massachusetts. So these are just like legends I grew up with hearing about like Tony Canigliaro and how my aunt still has a signed ball from him. And Yaz and what he was like off the field. All that stuff is what I grew up with. So that's that's how I kind of grew to love the game. So was there minor league baseball around you? Did you attend minor league baseball games growing up? Yeah. So it's funny. If I was a kid now, the closest team would have been the Hartford Yard Goat. Um, but Hartford just started up a couple of years ago. So the closest team to me growing up was the Pawtucket Red Sox. I actually went to a couple birthday parties at McCoy um, and, you know, grew up just like that, that was the closest minor league team. That's, that's always seemed cool. And I always think about those memories when I cover the game now, because some of that stuff felt like small or it, it, it looks small in retrospect when you're covering minor league baseball on a daily basis. But Michael Coleman, nobody remembers him. I remember him as this great slugger because he hit two homers <laughs> on my like 13th birthday, you know, like, there are so many people experiencing their one game a year at the ballpark every day. Um, so what seems like a two homer performance, which might mean nothing to us when we're following these box scores, you know, there's somebody in the park who's going to remember that name for a very long yeah. time. So for me, it was, it was Pawtucket. Um, but for like my niece and nephew growing up, it's going to be Worcester. It's going to be Hartford. It's going to be a bunch of other places. So the, the oh, Woo awesome. Sox, we, uh, we talked to the guys from Brandios, uh, during the last year's winter meetings and they mentioned the Woo Sox that they're doing the logo for them. Also, my brother-in-law lives outside of Hartford. So I've got a yard goats shirt. Uh, I'm, oh, there you go. I'm dying to go visit him in summertime, uh, to go to a yard goats, uh, game, but you know, the pandemic is the pandemic. Friend of the podcast, Katie Wu, was very excited, okay. and and your coworker <laughs> up until yes. recently was very excited about the uh, the Wu Sox. Uh, we were talking about Don Orsillo before we hit the record button. Um, he was the uh, broadcaster in Pawtucket from '96 to 2000. Yes, yeah, he was, and he also I think he started his career in Pittsfield as well, um, which Pittsfield is an extreme Western Mass. Uh, so Don Orsillo, like when he got the Red Sox job, it felt great for a lot of us because he was somebody we saw coming up or somebody you followed growing up or whatever he was like a real local guy getting that job he understood everything he didn't have to learn references uh you know the boston red sox job being such a big job that could have gone to anybody nationally but to go to orsillo a local guy who really knew his stuff felt awesome and then i don't want to say you guys in san diego stole him because that's not how it worked <laughs> but nesson unceremoniously getting rid of him was a big loss for anybody who watches a lot of Red Sox games, and uh, it, it, Padres picked up the benefit and at a great time because that's one of the that's one of the big MLB TV watches every year. Now. Yeah, your loss is our gain, and he's just a fantastic fit here in San Diego. We're yeah. glad to have him. We're, we love Don. Hey, so when did you start writing? I started writing. Well, depending on where, when you want to start. Did you do it at college? Uh, I, I, did you want to? Do you want to be a writer when you grew up? Did you want to write for MLB or? So I, uh, what I wanted to be growing up, I, I remember being really young and thinking like I wanted to be an announcer, like Norcillo or you know somebody like that, because um, I was just like going to the baseball game and just sitting and watching and talking about it for three hours. That seems awesome. And then I realized I'm a better writer than I am a talker, which is a heck of a thing to say in a podcast. Right. <laughs> And you, but you go ahead. You know, 
I, I prefer that the writing side is my day job. We'll put it that way. Um, so then I started looking more into that. And then I went, I ended up going to Boston University for journalism, which if you've ever been to the BU campus, it's literally steps away from Fenway. Like that was a huge thing for me when we went on the uh, trip to see, you know, to go on the campus tour. My dad just looked around and he was just like, this seems like the perfect fit for you because so much of what we had done growing up was walking through the BU campus to get to Fenway. And there was always that excitement. And now like, this is where I go to college, could go to college. So that, that worked out really well. Um, I ended up interning at WEI, got to cover a lot of Sox games through that, um, have a lot of really fond experiences. Like I interviewed Mariano Rivera for a story. Um, you want to be like a college sophomore and have your eyes open up as big as saucers. Interview Mariano Rivera. <laughs> uh, Dustin Pedroia, David Ortiz, like all that kind of stuff that really threw me into the thick of it, working with Rob Bradford and Alex Spear. Alex now works for the Boston Globe. Um, so then at, out of college, I was applying anywhere and everywhere. Uh, there was an opening at MILB.com. Seemed like a really good fit. Uh, they offered me the job two months out of college, and I've literally been here ever since. Like I, I started out part-time working nights when games happened, moved day side, and I've been full-time for about four years now. It's like Ben... Benjamin Hill, like somebody of his said, hey, he was playing rec ball, right, in New York. And his buddy's like, hey, you want to want to do some work for MILB? And he was doing nightcaps for every game out of, from out of town and kind of just went yeah. on from there. Yeah. Yeah. Ben's Ben's history uh, is even more winding than mine is like my I just drew a pretty straight line. Ben, I think, used to work as a teacher at some points like he lived in New York City and we're based out of New York City. So um, it seemed like a good fit. And Ben as you guys know, is just really good at finding his niche. Yeah. And he's got a very singular voice that worked really well at a time when we didn't have, I mean, he's way before my time, but um, when we were looking for a business reporter and to cover the fun side of the minor leagues, not necessarily the on field stuff, Ben was a perfect fit for that. And now, I mean, he's a necessary follow for anybody who cares about this stuff. Yeah. But we had been right after he finished his last uh, minor league stadium tour and he was great. You know, yeah. it's something that got driven home to me with this whole shutdown and the you know, when all the negotiations were going back and forth with baseball and and a lot of you guys were were kind of campaigning for minor league baseball. Um, so many of the promotions that we see and so many of the entertainment related things around baseball, attending a baseball game originated in the minors. And I feel like um, like Ben was able to to highlight a lot of that with all of his travels seeing all the different ballparks and all the mascots and all the wacky promotions and the roller coasters and all the stuff that that that's not what baseball was 40 years ago it was dirt lots in minor league baseball and now it's right. grown to be such a big industry right yeah i mean you, you talk to guys who have come through the 80s and the 90s i mean we're not talking about ancient times here we're just talking about 20 30 years ago and not only what's happening around the park but just the amenities that players have and, and access to things. And that's only going to grow. We'll get on that later, I'm sure. But um, yeah, just how minor league baseball has taken off as an entertainment product to begin with. I mean, that's, that's one great thing about minor league baseball is that you come there and you try to just have a good time. You're not thinking about salaries. You're not thinking about trade. Like how right. is this guy going to fit in my fantasy lineup? You are there for the baseball and to be entertained for two and a half, three hours. Right. When we talked to the guys from Randy Os, that was, if we were asking them about, baseball stuff and they're like you know i'm i mean like i like baseball but i'm not a fan we we specialize on the stuff that's happening away from the field yeah. and i i never really thought about it that way that when they come up with 
a logo and a name, it's not just the logo. It's also a mascot. It's bobbleheads. It's hats and shoes and socks and all the merchandise that goes along with it. Yeah, it's there's so much more to it than just putting the Hartford Yard Goats on a on a logo and calling it a day. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, I if. I was in the room with them. I would be the guy pushing to make it baseball centric in a way. Cause I think it all at the end of the day, as much as you want to put like kidscapes and roller coasters and all these things you're talking about, you know, dance contests in the middle of the third inning, it, it all centers around the diamond. And as much as we can get everything to rotate around that and celebrate that, I think the better, sometimes it gets a little far from that um, with some of these names and logos. But as we say so much on our show uh, it's about, getting people interested. If, if you are yeah. reacting to it in some way, that is a reaction that you weren't having. Um, and that's, that's how interest is. So I understand that's kind of off to one side, but as much as baseball can be the center of whatever product is being created, that that's, I think, the point of emphasis that should be taken. There. So we've got the Lake Elsinore storm an hour and a half up the road here. And there's a promotion they do every year. And I haven't had a chance to go yet, but they do nothing night once a year yes there's no broadcaster there's no music there's no you know announcing who the next player is i don't think they even put anything up on the video board it's just pure baseball and i want to attend that bring a scorebook you know get a program so i know who everybody is because then you have to actually be engaged with the game to know what's going on right yeah and i the beauty of that promotion is that you only have to do it once a year but everybody remembers you know, like it it costs nothing, but it's like a it's so, such a simple thing. And and there's such a I know there's like a, a battle in the game with anything now about modernity versus antiquated ways and what's better, the old time way of doing it versus the new way of doing it. But just doing that like once or twice a year is a, is a way to get the old school back in into it. Um, but it's, it's not overtaking everything. You're not like it's special. It, it, just treating it in a special way is, I think, a great way of doing it. If you were to just tell me, hey, we're the team that doesn't play any music, that would be boring quick. Right. But you do that once a month, once a year, twice a year, what have you, that, that's a pretty sp- special thing. Especially like the, the end of the night, they, they, you, know, you buy a tennis ball, and just see people don't buy it to kind of get it in the bucket. They just buy it to throw the Frisbee or throw the tennis ball to just do that and not really win the prize. So it is. It's more of participation. Um Let's get into the let's get into the contraction and, and discuss what's going on. So it seemed like the December eighteenth now, and this blew right past me, and I kind of pay attention. The, the Denver, December eighteenth deadline for teams to accept MLB's offer kind of blew so, kind of blew by and went. Yeah, yeah. So December eighteenth wasn't about accepting the offer. December eighteenth was about agreeing to sign the NDA. So one one of the things that's happening in this process is. Um, you know, reportedly that if a minor league team wants to continue and sign a license, they have to first sign an NDA that are, they agree not to sue Major League Baseball. That's what was happening on December 18th. The next process is getting every all the ducks in a row and signing the license. That's when things are going to be assured. It's I call it. I'm still going to call it an affiliate in my heart of hearts, but it's more like a partnership now. Um, So I I might get caught up here as I discuss that, but teams are going to become official affiliates probably in late January or early February. So that December 18th date that you mentioned might've seemed big, but that's never, that was never going to be a front facing thing. No team is going to come out and announce like we've taken the next step and signed an NDA. Right. Right. It's not how that necessarily works. So, so it, it seemed like a big day, but it, it was just one part of the process. And we won't hear more about who we know who's been offered and invited. Everything won't be solidified until the end of this month or even 
the beginning of the next. So that December 18th deadline, are you aware of any teams that refused to sign whatever was put in front of them at that time? Not that I'm aware of. Um, it was all believed like in order to get an invitation, basically everything was going to be in line anyways. Um, and I find it really difficult. We would have heard basically if somebody said we're not signing the NDA. And I, I think they were going to go 120 for 120 anyways. Um, so it, I haven't heard it specifically of anybody not signing it. That doesn't mean it didn't happen, but I would say it's very, very, very unlikely. None of the 120 teams that were offered a license uh, signed that and took the next step. Yeah, it's one well, of those... Was it 120 or was it 119 plus Fresno? So Fresno is all short. Of, that was the thing for a while that initially the list was everything came out and it seemed like it was 119, but Fresno needed to figure things out. They eventually came to an agreement. Um the city of Fresno and the Colorado Rockies. So that's, that's all shored up. They still need to still go through all the, those processes, but for right now, for all intents and purposes, Fresno is in line with everybody else who's been offered. Well, you know, and, and once again, let's just start out. This is just uh, what's perceived. This is what's uh, been reported. This isn't coming from Sam guys. This isn't the end all be all. This is just what he thinks. This is just ideas that we're throwing around. Don't go to the bank on this. Uh, Please don't get in trouble, Sam. And well, we can't, we can't get in trouble. Um, it's kind of interesting. And I just want your thoughts on this. So Fresno's going from a triple A affiliate to a low A affiliate. Um, I wonder if there's going to be any difference in attendance or if there's going to be any difference in, in revenue or, you know, kind of how go. that's kind of like going to a major league team, going to a triple A team. You know, it's kind of really right. A big difference. Yeah, no, it it, it is going to be some noticeable difference. Um, I mean, that it got to the point basically where Fresno we either going to have Class A or nothing. So when you put it on that level, then you're just like, well, Class A is something. Um, but it really is going to come down to promotion. And if I mean, you guys, I'm sure are aware of this, but like nobody does promotion better than the Fresno Grizzlies. Um, some of the stuff they've done, Fresno tacos, taco throwdown, all that kind of stuff. They're probably going to have to ramp that up to a certain level. Uh, cause they're, they're not going to be able to just kind of skate on by as where a triple a team come see somebody who could be called up to the majors. Yeah. That said, what they were was a Washington nationals, which does not do anything for the people of that area. You can't say like, Hey, come see Carter Keboom, for example, when, if he's good, he's going to be shipped across the country, <laughs> you know, like it, it, yeah. in terms of promotion and getting people out to the ballpark, that didn't work. It, obviously what would have been better would have been the giants or the A's. Yeah. Um, but those guys had uh, ones other elsewhere. So kind of the way the way the shuffle just kind of worked out was Fresno was either going to be at the class, either have to be class A or nothing. And when it came to affiliated ball and you'll definitely take at least class A. Well, yeah, you know, and they were stashing. So the thing was they were stashing all their good players in Hagerstown, right? In double A. So if they had to, in Harrisburg, in Harrisburg, that's in Harrisburg, Harrisburg. Sorry, not yeah. Hagerstown. Um, and kind of triple A was just really not too many people are going to be there. Um, and if they were, they were going to have to really ship all the way across the country. Um, I'm pretty stoked for for Fresno being, you know, still being here in in the uh, in the new Cali League. Uh, we're, you know, as as Storm fans, as Storm guys that go up to the Storm and talk to players, uh, we like the idea that it's an A ball club. It's going to be a little different, but I think we'll get them a little sooner. And and I think what what we do as a podcast is really 
we're the first chance that they really get to talk to me. Like, look, mm-hmm. we're it's a podcast, so you know we're not looking for a scoop. We're looking for you guys to give us answers on your process and how you're doing as a player and how you feel about being a minor league player more than you know. I want a polished double A guy telling me the yeah, I'm out the best I can with whatever I got. And, <laughs> you know, you know the just the the stuff that those guys really put out. Um, so let's talk. Let's get into the leagues. So. I have it down here. So it's the collegiate leagues. They have the dream league, the draft league. How real quick? How is how involved is MLB in the collegiate leagues? Are they just there financially? Are they going to supply? What are they doing there? So for like the Appy League, for example, the Appy League is going to become a, a collegiate wood bat league, something akin to the Cape Cod League. Not to bring up another Massachusetts thing, but everybody knows the Cape League. Um, so what? MLB's level of involvement is, is because like they are an affiliate. They're going to be providing like technology to help scout these guys. That's going to be a certain level of draw, right? Like you're, you're going to, if you're looking at what options you have, you could go to, I think the coastal plains league, for example, or you could go to the Appy league, which has MLB ties. There's guaranteed to be scouts there. Um, they're going to be invested in making it work. I know the Appy league used to have, a reputation of being like not a great place to play because some of the facilities aren't great and all that. But if you know it has those MLB ties and MLB is investing to make sure the technology is there and you can show up there and show off, that's going to be the draw. Now I'm going to be really interested to see like the Cape league has the shine of it. It's really well known. It's got prestige. If you can hit in Wareham or born or what have you, that's always going to pop on your draft profile. How long is it until we see you know, the blue fields and Pulaski's to have that yeah. same clout. It's going to be a few years, I think, but just having that MLB involvement and scouts knowing they can be in touch with MLB and the players knowing they can be in touch with scouts. I think that's going to raise what the Appy league could be if they, instead of, if they just announced tomorrow, like we're our own thing, uh, please come play here. That, that would be a little bit more. Now you mentioned technology. I understand the part of the plan is that major league baseball is going to install the Hawkeye motion tracking systems um, in in the facilities for all of these, um, you know, collegiate draft dream leagues. Yeah, that's what it seems like right now. Uh, and that's huge because so much of scouting now isn't just what you can see with your eyes. It's what you can measure. Uh, so if you had reports on a guy throwing 90 as a, as a sophomore and all of a sudden you have Hawkeye saying he's throwing 93 and a half, like that's great. That's only going to help his stock. And certainly with the way we're talking now about spin rate, and all that, like that's a data point that you wouldn't necessarily have by just looking at. Um, so that can help players and that can also help teams if they can draft something that they're seeing in the technology and they can mold that. They can do something different with it than you're not doing currently. That's only going to help guys when it comes to draft time. Yeah. And affiliates, uh, the radar guns are notoriously uh, questionable. Right. Right. And the same way with, you know, radar guys just standing behind home plate and using that. Like if you have more data at this point is only going to help everyone. Absolutely. So what happens if, what happens if these things fail? I mean, what's the accountability of, of, um, you know, kind of the accountability of the, of the affiliates or the leagues with the quality of the play, not quality of the play, the quality of the fields, quality of the facilities, um, or if they're outright losing money. I mean, I, I know the Abilene wasn't exactly, you know, blowing away with, with, um, the tendons, but. You know, if these small communities that really loved having their team there find, you know, now they're going to have some collegiate team. Yeah, it'll be some kind of entertainment, but not necessarily guys that may be future major leaguers or at least are affiliated with ball. Are they going to bail these teams out? Are they, is it, you know, I've heard that they're going to drop them. If, if they don't fit, they, they get dropped and they can pick someone else up. Right. Yeah. I'm, 
I don't have a very specific because it's it's the early stages, yeah. right? Like you're you're not planning to fail, so I haven't heard any answers of like what happens if this doesn't work because if they had if they were planning on it not working, they wouldn't have done it in the first place. Um, I think having that MLB backing is only going to help. I think in terms of um, promoting the league, one thing I love about what the Appy League is going to become is all the teams are going to be locally named now instead of it being the Pulaski Yankees, like Greenville Reds or the, yeah, it'll be twins. That'll be a whole new revenue stream is selling it of hats and and shirts and all that. Um, So there's other money coming in other than just, Hey, here's the major league team name that we slapped onto you guys. Um, If you're, if you're a Nats fan too bad, you have to be a Pulaski fan, (laughs) et cetera, et cetera. So I think there are other ways to make this work, but in terms of what happens, if it doesn't, I I think we're years away from knowing what that's going to be. And who knows what baseball in general by that point. All right. Now these are long-term agreements, right? 10 years I'm hearing. Well, for the PDLs for like professional development license, okay, um, those are going to be either on a five-year or ten-year basis. Or when the city of Fresno announced that it had come to an agreement with MLB to put an affiliate in Fresno, they announced that it was fifteen. That seemed like a special case because it was Fresno being like, "Hey, we don't want to have to go through this again for another decade and a half." So if if you want us to stay around and use Chukchansi Park, which is beautiful and at AAA caliber, we want a little extra than the other teams are getting. Um, so in terms of the licenses, those are probably pretty standard, going to be 10 years. We might see some five-year ones. Um, or in the extreme case, Fresno is 15. But when it comes to these other leagues, I don't know exactly how long the, the licenses are going to be. Because that's, that's within the league itself. It's a partner league. Like MLB is not running it in the same way. It will the minors. Now, moving on to the draft league. So the draft league, is that going to be kind of like take place or take over for the summer showcases like Perfect Game and the Area Code Games? Is that how that's going to work? Is it going to be high school kids? No. So um, the draft leagues are kind of their own thing. So you're talking about the showcase circuits. Showcase circuits is usually reserved more for juniors, high school juniors, guys who are going to be going into the draft the following year. Those guys will not be eligible for the draft league. The draft league is only for draft-eligible players, so high school seniors, junior college players, college juniors or seniors um, with the idea that the draft is going to be pushed back to July starting this year. It's going to be part of the all-star break. Now uh, this draft league is a last chance for you to show off something like to improve your stock. However you can. Um, so it might be, Hey, you were injured at the beginning of the year. Uh, you didn't get to show a 95 mile an hour fastball for long enough. Go play in the draft league, go play for Trenton, what have you. Um, but it's not going to replace those showcase circuits. Those are their own thing. MLB is very invested in those uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, those will continue in the same way. This is just kind of an addition for those high school seniors, junior college players, or college eligible guys. So I had heard that they were pushing the draft back, but I didn't realize that they were they were syncing it up with the all-star break. And that's a really neat idea because there's kind of a little bit of dead air in there. Yeah, you got the all-star game, you got the home run derby and the other stuff that's going on, but it, there's not a lot of news around baseball other than those events. So that's that's a good idea. Yeah, I don't know how it affects like the, the college schedule and obviously short season baseball is going away. Um, so I guess this is kind of this draft league is kind of taking that space. But I like yeah, how that I'm- fits in there. Yeah, I mean, they were supposed to be this year was it was supposed to coincide with the College World Series, That's which it. would have been awesome in its own right and its own spectacle. And I would have loved to have seen that. But you're right with with short season ball going away outside of the GCL, the AZL, and the DSL, um, you don't have to populate those rosters in early June anymore. So you push it back to July; it can become its own spectacle. The college season can be over. Uh, you're not going to have this awkward time of like 
guys getting drafted and then having to go play in the college world series. And who knows what could, I, I don't have a good example offhand of somebody getting injured, right. but it, I always thought that was a little weird and a little awkward. Now that's gone away. Um, that always and, seemed like a distraction. You know, you got to, right. when, when a kid gets drafted and then he has to go back and play games, it's like, what does that do for his teammates? And then his, that changes his mindset. Cause it's like, right. okay, now I need to focus on being a pro, but wait, I need to go play baseball for another two weeks for, you know, Oregon State or Clemson or whatever. It was weird. And not only that, but I've talked to a number of players who you'll say, like, what do you remember from draft night? And it's like, oh, I was with my teammates. We got the call. We all celebrated. And that was it. Like, you don't get the genuine moment of having a big party with all your friends back home and, and getting to celebrate in that way and having it wash over you when tomorrow you got to go play for in an elimination game. Right. Like. They, they, these guys deserve their moment in the sun if they're drafted anywhere, not only just first round, first 10 picks, whatever. This is a big moment for you. And to get that own moment and it, have it be part of All-Star, the All-Star break, the All-Star, I think is great too. And um, the MLB draft is something that I think can only grow in stature and in coverage and getting it at that time when really the focus is going to be on MLB is, I think, perfect. You know, it, it's funny about that. We, uh, we interviewed a a Padre minor leaguer named Gabe Moser and his buddy was drafted by the Seattle Mariners. And on draft night, he texted Gabe and Hey, I'm, you know, they're going to pick me here pretty soon. Um, you listen in. And so he tuned in and they ended up calling his name before they called it, before his friend uh, got called, no. uh, which was great. Cause they both got, you know, this within the same minute or so they both got called, but it was like, Oh my, that's how I found out I was going to get drafted was, I heard my name called. It was like number five, 23. We select, you know, the Padre select this guy. Right. Uh, that's pretty funny. So then we go into the, so that's the draft league. So then we go into the dream league. The dream league, these are like the, the guys are just trying to get in. Is this kind of like not indie ball, but yet still trying to get an eye on, you know, scouts eyes on them. What is that dream league? So dream league is kind of, is, is that same thing. It's guys who are undrafted, but want to eventually play in, in major league baseball get signed somehow um i'm thinking about like the pioneer league is officially becoming independent um but that's still a partner league in some way so again because there are mlb ties because there's mlb equipment involved it's just gonna be so much easier um to get signed and to show up in multiple ways and keeping that connection allows the fact that scouts are going to be there you're going to get noticed it's much harder to be like if i go to the pioneer league nobody's going to come here and see me or I'm just going to be lost forever. You know that there are those ties. Um, it's just you're going to have to be paid by the team itself. Yeah. It's not you're not getting being you're not being paid by Major League Baseball or an organization or anything like that. So that's a little different. Um, but in terms of this is just like another form of independent baseball. Okay. Um, it, it just has affiliated ties to MLB. Under you know, I wonder about the finances of that because with the affiliated team the parent organization is paying the payroll of the players, the coaches, they're covering a fair chunk of the costs with independent league. There's none of that. And so a lot of these guys, they're, they're paid. I mean, minor leaguers are paid. They're not paid well, but independent league guys have to be paid even less, right? These guys have to have a side job and it's really more of a, of a hobby that they get like a, like a, what's the word I'm looking for? It's just like a, yeah, it's, it's a small, um, the words escaping me. Um, but <laughs> well, the yeah. finances of that has got to be tough to manage. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it is one of those instances in which you are basically investing in yourself by not actually putting money down, but re- allowing yourself to take in less money with the idea of someday I'm going to go to the majors and make up that money on the back end. Um, 
you know, it, it is in terms of the finances, again, going back to the Pioneer League, the Pioneer League used to be a short season league. Yeah. Now it's going to be playing a lot more games. Revenue is going to be generated that way. Uh, and then hopefully some of that's going to be sprinkled down to the players. That's how they're going to be able to pay players a little easier. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it is a tough road for indie ball players. I think anybody knows that uh, you can't do it forever. Um, but if you can do it for a couple of years or even one year, get noticed, get signed to a, ma- a minor league deal, that's what they're doing it for. Robert Stock. Well, I hope that works. I hope that works out well for because a lot of these places that lost affiliated baseball, they're they're isolated. They're far away from yeah. from other minor league baseball, let alone major league baseball. Places like Billings, Montana. Yeah. Um, and so I wonder about losing the connection to major league baseball that that path even at the short season a ball level you're watching these guys and somebody just got drafted and now you're watching this hot prospect that may someday play in the majors and there's there's an allure to that where with the dream league you lose that connection i hope for those or those cities that they still get good attendance that there's still a, an interest in baseball there that doesn't get lost with this yeah no for sure and and one of the things that I love about those places too. We talked about, uh, talked to Ben about this a bunch, but seeing some of those backdrops, they're just like some of the most beautiful places to yeah. play baseball um, with the mountains in the background and, and losing that in, in any way would be sad just for baseball on a whole. So the fact that that still exists, um, it, the pipeline is just changing. That's the way I, I've tried to, yeah. I might be talking myself into this for sure. I, right. I acknowledge that. But when you look at like the success rate of guys coming out of the old pioneer league, it was, fairly small anyways it's still going to stay small with this independent league yeah they're uh, one of the examples i come back to is isan diaz who is now in the marlins like he came up through the missoula osprey um but he's a rarity like the the success rate for the pioneer league was so small it might not actually change in the end it might be years before we know if it was better or worse um but for all we know the actual quality of baseball like the chance you will see a 96 97 mile an hour fastball and thrown where it was meant to be thrown might actually go up with this indie. Whether that matters to folks, like I don't know. Like right, that right. balance of here's a 17 year old who can't hit his spots, but could someday be a number three starter in the majors versus here's a 27 year old who is significantly better but might not go anywhere. Like which do you prefer? We'll have to see how that works out. But it is it is going to be a little bit different for sure. So in the end of all of this, it, kind of you know the the overview of this is Major League Baseball wants to pay the minor league guys more money and. In order to do that, they need to cut down this and make it more efficient, more business-like. Um, so is that still in the running? Is that still in the plan to pay these guys a living wage? Is there is there talk of you know helping these affiliates or your partners, you want to say, help with nutrition and help with the off-season? Like, like, one of the things we champion here for this podcast are giving these guys a, a decent wage on top of a stipend throughout the off-season. Yeah, well, I think... One one of the major things you talk about nutrition, like a lot of teams are starting to take that in house before any of this happened, which was amazing. Like they realized that it, hey, if we spend a little bit more, we'll have players not eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, and if they're eating better, they're going to perform better, and that actually is an investment for us. It, it took much longer than it should have for teams to realize that, but teams were coming along that path anyways. And in terms of pay, yes, I mean that's MLB's been out and out about that. One of the reasons why. You limit the teams as there are fewer players, but then you can spread around pay a little bit better. Some teams were already taking that on themselves. I know the Toronto Blue Jays had announced that they were going to up payments for players. Um, we'll see where where that's going to finally settle uh, once everything's official and wrapped up. Um, but I think that's only going to help the players 
you know, we'll, we'll see exactly what that level is going to be in determining whether that's sufficient or not. It's definitely going to help in the long run. You know, one positive piece of news that came out is that they're going to pay clubhouse managers more and they're going to, uh, they're, they are going to have a budget available for food. Um, so now the players aren't going to be responsible for paying dues to the clubbies, right. which yep. was a substantial chunk of their income, yeah. you know, when they already are, are, you know, having a hard time getting by, uh, before we leave the collegiate draft and dream leagues altogether as a MILB, uh, media person are is your group gonna gonna cover those leagues much? Do you know? Uh, I, I I don't want to give you a solid answer on that right now. I feel like there are gonna be discussions about that kind of stuff. That I mean, we'll we'll see how things are gonna kind of settle. As far as I'm aware, most of my beat is still gonna be on affiliated prospects, um, guys who have been drafted, signed, what have you, are coming up through the ranks, or ranked prospects, or, or top 100 guys, what would have whatever. Um, we might still have some coverage of that. I mean, a lot of the sites are still in-house, uh, are still running through MLB and MLB Advanced Media. Um, but in terms of how much direct coverage we will have, we're going to have to sit down and see that once the dust settles. Well, you can have stringers there, or you can have the interns. I know a friend of the podcast, Katie Wu, and I think even AJ Casaville started out as interns and then worked into you know a full full-time position so you can kind of form that out to guys that are still trying to learn how to write and cover a team and do whatnot and kind of get do that for less money i don't know (laughs) well i I know i know katie used to work for like mlb.com and used to intern through them yeah which is its own thing yeah there there used to be an mlb intern program there i still i think they still have some opportunities but it used to be basically every mlb team and mlb.com site used to have an intern below the beat writer which is tremendous i mean we've gotten a lot of our writers through that intern program as ML, MILB. In terms of what we do, um, we mostly, every night we have seven or eight writers on staff just watching every game. Um, and then we have either one or two editors a night assigning what are the big performance. So sometimes it's a big prospect who hits two homers. Maybe it's a non-prospect who goes five or six. It, it depends on the night. But most of that is kind of done in-house. We have notebooks. We have lots of other things we're working on. Um, but in terms of, like, Shipping that stuff out, uh, again, I, I think we're going to have to wait to see how things set. You know, and for me, that was a learning process because I was, um, you know, I'd be at the, I was at the Lake Elsinore game and I'm on Twitter and I see a writer that I follow that I, you know, I don't I follow and she tweeted out something. I'm like, oh my God, are you here now? And later <laughs> on, she's like, no, we get it through MLB. <laughs> like I did right. my interview. Like I was around in the clubhouse. I didn't see you interviewing so-and-so. Like, no, we did it afterwards and it was all good. Um, the- yeah, you kind of have to think of like our newsroom is essentially almost like a brain center. Like all the box scores come through us first, right? So we're following all of that. We have all MILB.TV access. We're watching games, listening to games, what have you. Um, but it's kind of all coming through us here in New York. And because, like you said before, the miners being the miners, it is so much easier to get a guy on a phoner in that type of situation. Yeah. So the success rate differs on the night. Sometimes we go eight for eight. Sometimes we go three for eight. Um, but Wait, was that a phoner, a phoner? Yeah. It's a technical term. <laughs> nice. you go with that? That, that, yeah. That's some, that's some industry lingo right there. Yeah, sure. A phone interview <laughs> for those of you listening. At home. <laughs> well, we heard five uh, and dive on here. Heard we... me, Cause I know phoner sounds like a funny thing and I don't want people in this here. <laughs> Um, Somebody yeah, comes barging into the room, phone. dude. I got a phoner. Wait, <laughs> what? Whoa, inappropriate. Um, <laughs> or you know, you got a, a podcast guy giving you messages and DMs like, "Hey, this guy's doing really well. You want to check him out?" And that's how um, that's how sometimes you get information. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean that's the the again the great thing about the minor leagues is that it's so far and wide. There there are going to be nights where we feel like there's too much happening, and that's a great thing because that just means there's lots happening. And we try to recap it as best we can. Uh, sometimes there, there's not as much happening, but there's still games happening and there's still individual stories. Okay, real quick, and I'm not sure if you can answer this question, but I was told that the Lake Elsinore Storm are going to be given they're going to get televised so those teams are going to be given cameras you know they're going to have cameras set up they used to they never did before um is mlb going to really invest you think they're going to invest in a lot of these teams that don't have in-house cameras to have the milb app a little more successful um bring in more viewers uh are they just going to go with let let the affiliates or partners uh do what they can yeah, so I mean, I can't speak to like individual clubs right. and, and what those discussions are, um, but I, I I will say I agree that the more teams we can get on MILB TV, the better. So if that where that investment is coming from, whether it's the teams themselves or higher up, now that MLB is going to streamline everything, um, I'm not sure. I, I again, I can't speak to that, but I think getting a Lake Elsinore on the service is only going to be great for everybody. Um, the more teams we get out there, I know for a while, I feel like San Jose was like the only one that we had. Um, so anytime you wanted to get a highlight of a Cal League player, you had to make sure they played in San Jose, which is fine. But like it, it's not great for finding out, let's say, like Joe Adele has a two homer night and we don't have access. So speaking completely selfishly, like the more tape I can get of prospects, the better, the more yeah. stuff we can see and share with everybody, the better. So I, I hope that's an investment that continues. I just don't know if that's a team decision or if that's going to be. So us as Padres fans, I, I've it's always been odd to me that in, in the Midwest League, you've got the Fort Wayne Tin Caps. They've got a fantastic media team, and yep. the quality of their broadcast is excellent. I mean, they've got good camera angles and everything, but they also have good broadcasters. The people that do the graphics, all that stuff is for a minor league team. It's everything you could ask for. And then they go up to the storm and there's no TV at all. It's just, right. it always seemed like this, this, this hole that you step into and, Oh, Hey, you, Chris Paddock is going to go up to, to high single a, but I can't watch any of his games. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of that beforehand came down to individual teams and how much you're willing to invest in that kind of, sometimes um, it seemed like teams were more willing to be like, Hey, we don't want MILB TV because we want you coming out to the park, which is its own thing. Um, but you know, I, I agree with you about Fort Wayne watching some of those games. It was always a treat, especially with their graphics department, yeah. the way they would put like almost like the box score and like the yeah. scorecard and the lineup all fitting. It felt like a, a real TV production and not just something. The guy that does, there are two people that do that. It's Tim. And I want to say her name is Sarah. And they, when I've been, they are both so hopped up on caffeine. I couldn't believe it. Those <laughs> two people have so much energy and so much creativity to do what they do. So shout out to them. Yeah. And Dan yeah, does and, really and I know too. John Nolan, the broadcaster over there and how great a job he does and how hard he works and how knowledgeable he is about that whole system. So uh, it's 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 really great work that they do over there in Fort Wayne. Well, gosh, Sam, we really appreciate you giving us the time here, man. And well, well, we have more questions. I, I know, I know, but I'm. Just I gonna, mean, I, if you guys have more, like, we I'm, have more I'm questions. But I'm just kind of recapping here. I because once again, when I was in the winter meetings and and I walk in the room and I and I see Richard Justice, I see John Heyman, I you know I see. Uh, Ken Rosenthal scurrying around, but then I see Sam. I'm like, oh, Sam Dykstra. <laughs> and I walk up, I'm like, hey, hey, Sam. You're like, yeah. I'm in Friars on the Farm. I, you, hey, I, you know, and you, you were cordial and very nice, but I was like almost a little starstruck. And I think I'm like 20 years older than you. I mean, A, never, never be that way around me again. But B, um, 
No, I mean, that's the great thing about the winter meetings yeah. is that there's just so much of that going at, at every corner. There's people I haven't worked with in the game. There's people I haven't met yet. I mean, the, the baseball media community, I know it, it catches a lot of crap, especially now around Hall of Fame voting. Um, but just how wide it is, how vast it is, and how caring people are about yeah. each other is really fun in a venue like that. Okay, so we didn't have the winter meetings this year. And last year, Donovan went to the Peebo where people are looking – to get their foot in the door. You know, yeah. I know there's so much networking that goes on. Uh, you have people looking for work, find jobs through that. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know how you found your path on your way up, but that wasn't a thing this year. Uh, and even the, so the structure of it, it used to be that there was originally the minor league winter meetings and then the major league kind of latched onto it and they're operated as two parallel they're happening in the same city at the same time, but they're separate events. Right. Now that's all going away because everything's under one roof. But this year, that didn't happen at all other than online. Um, have you seen a, a change in I, – I know you don't know a whole lot about you know, the, the business side of it, but people looking for work. is. Are you seeing more like communication going back and forth, people just trying to figure out what their next job's going to be? I mean the big thing right now, it's like so many other aspects of the, the economy, is – and especially minor league baseball coming off no season. I mean, it trying to, if, even if we had, you know, a regular PBO fair, let's say in some safe fashion in the middle of a pandemic, I don't know how many jobs there would have been to offer in the first place anyway, right. because so many teams are kind of in holding patterns yeah. right now. They're, they're working off of revenue that they got in 2019 and the very little that they could get in 2020 merch or concession, you know, drive through concessions, whatever. Um, so I, I, I don't think there were just that many openings this winter. But if there were, again, it's like anything else, like you were doing it over Zoom. Yeah. Um, the idea of I, I, I love seeing that, too, seeing how many people want baseball jobs and come through there. And Donovan, I'm sure you saw it, like, yeah, with these massive folders ready to hand out their resume to anybody who looks at them for half a second. Um, people getting people interested in the industry and wanting to join that and go to those lengths is awesome to see. And I hope that's something that comes back next year. Um, but just given the, the state of the game right now and how many layoffs there were and how many people just had to be furloughed until, Hey, we need to figure out what our revenue stream is going to look like. I just don't think there were those same level of openings that there will be that there were normally, but Knock on wood, those are going to return in 2020. So you talked about the changes due to COVID. Um, and right now, everybody's planning on that there will be some form of a season. There was an article that came out on Baseball America. Uh, J.J. Cooper has been doing a fantastic job of covering stuff. I don't mean to, to talk up one no, of your no, competitors. No. He, yes. he, he's, he's been amazing all year. Um, so there were a bunch of suggested changes. So it sounds like there's going to be a spring training with the major league players and the triple a guys kind of like there was with the alternate site this year. And then they're going to wait until they break camp. And then there's going to be a separate spring training for the double a and, yeah. and lower levels. Um, have you heard anything about that? Do you have any thoughts about that idea? Yeah. So that baseball America story um, for anybody who hadn't heard it, um, basically what teams have been told so far is that, uh, like you said, like we might have to open the year in an alternate site situation. The double A, class A, advanced class A seasons might get pushed back to May um, just so everybody can get in. Uh, I was talking to a player today off the record. He said he hadn't been nothing has really been solidified. Um, I know there was some chatter about like the Indians were scheduled to send guys to spring training early and get them in a bubble as early as like this week, I think. Uh, and those plans got canceled as MLB tries to put things together. 
Um, so what it lo- it's looking like right now is that those lower levels are going to have to start later, A, to get guys training safely. But also, I think the other level of this is the whole re- way all of this works for minor league baseball is to have fans in the stands. And we need to get to a point where that's going to be safe. And we're going to be a lot closer to that in May than we will be in uh, given the way things are trending. So, you know, it's going to be a lot tougher to tell the storm or the Amarillo sod pools and the Hartford yard goats or what have you. Hey, you have to have, have our players play at your stadium, but you can't have fans because of local jurisdiction. Like we put that off by a month. We get closer to that. It's going to be probably better for all parties. And, um, yeah. So that's the way things are trending right now. Again, the schedule, I'll be able to say more when like the schedule is complete and yeah. concrete. All these teams are, we know definitely who's in and who's not. Um, but that's the way things are trending. right. So as a result, there's a possibility that the season could run into like the first week of October. Um, and it sounds like right. there won't be any playoffs for any minor league levels, regardless right. of the length of the season. Yeah. Which it, it would be disappointing if that does happen. Um, I can't tell you how many times I talked to players in, in September or I guess late August. And I'm like, so what are you looking to do to finish out the year? And they're like, Oh, we want to make a playoff run. And part of me wants to always say like, do you want to make a playoff run? But they do. I'm like, they, they, if you're going to play a hundred games a year, you want to have it mean something into the year. Yeah. Not just, I developed in this way that it's not tangible. Right. Uh, These guys, they want to win. And they're, that's part of the whole learning process. It's like, yes, you need to learn the nuts and bolts of baseball, but you need to, you need points, to feel pressure. the adrenaline. And when the, when the heat is on you, when your team's relying on you to do something, um, it, it does sound like, so one of the other changes here, they're doing a six day on one day off schedule. That's been suggested. It sounds like that's going to simplify logistics, give guys a, a regular day off rather than like one or two days off in a month, like sometimes happened. Um, but then the other side of that is that they're going to play six games in a row against the same team. They're, and then they're not going to see that team again. You know, maybe they'll only play one or two series against some teams, depending on the size of the league. Uh, that's so that seems like more of a more of a player development kind of a move rather than a competitive baseball entertainment kind of a decision. Is that fair to right. say? Yeah, I, I think a six game series, there's so many levels to that. That would be interesting to see how it's going to play out. Like the first thing that I think is how bored are the players going to be about seeing the same side for like day four, day five, day six, what have you. But on the other hand of that, from a player development standpoint, so much of what we talk about with the guys is how they react, how they adjust. So if you're seeing a team for the third time in three days, fourth time in four days, what have you, uh, you're going to have to adjust a lot. Uh, it's not going to be like, oh, I remember seeing this guy in April. Let's see what he's what he's doing now. Like you saw him two days ago, if it's a bullpen arm or something. Um, so that's going to be fascinating to follow and how the game looks different in game six from how it's game one. Uh, getting more rest, I think, is only going to help players going back to what we were saying about nutrition, for example. Yeah. Uh, it's only going to benefit players when they do have more rest, when they are able to play more games at 100% instead of breaking down and, and going bus ride to bus ride and having to play again. Um, that, that day break, even if it's used for travel, like that's still huge to rest up and get back to where they need to be. And hopefully that means fewer injuries too. Right, because there's those overnight bus rides where they play a game, they shower, get on the bus, and then they need to, you know, like in the Northwest League, they're going from Boise to Vancouver, right. and they're riding through the night, sleeping in the bus, sleeping on the ground. Um, so there have been... There have been uh, travel regulations or travel um, rules, I'll say, that have been proposed that say if they're going to travel more than a certain distance, there need to be multiple buses. One of them needs to be a sleeper bus, right. that kind of thing. 
so I think that's a positive thing that that Major League Baseball is is instituting um, to try to improve the health, the recovery of of the players. You know, hopefully these are all positive changes, but there are financial impacts to that too because the minor league team is paying for the transportation, right? Right. Yeah, and it, yeah, I think the consolidation of some of these leagues. Um, Sometimes successfully, you know, again, when things are solidified, we'll, we'll be able to look at that. But the way some of these are proposed, the way the PCL used to work with teams in Memphis and Nashville, like that just really make much sense. Yeah. Um, so maybe the new AAA leagues, those will be closer to the, what used to be the IL. Um, that'll just be easier on everybody instead of having to go from Tacoma to Nashville, even on a plane. You know, that's still a long trip. Um, and some of these drives that are going to come up, I, I, there's that's not necessarily going to go completely away. But the more consolidated this can be, the better it's going to be for teams paying less in gas, the less, uh, you know, loss to sleep on buses that are going to happen for players. That's going to be one of the beneficial parts of of all these changes. What are the the games um, to kind of go back to, to kind of expound on that? The last game I went to was a Jackson Generals game in Tennessee, and they were playing the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp. Okay. That's the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp from Florida, right? Yes. Playing Correct. in Jackson, you know, Jackson, Tennessee. That is right. a far ride. You know, that, that's a, that's right. gotta be a plane. That's gotta be a plane. They gotta be flying out there. No, they, they I, as far as I know, they, they would always drive that. Um, wow. Which is not fun. Yeah. But it, that's the other thing about this is that I think they're going to become even more dutiful about scheduling yeah. to make it seem like you are hitting, you are not just going from Jackson to Jackson and not playing anybody in between and driving around and coming right back. Um, it's going to be more about these meandering road trips to make it work for everybody. Yeah. Kind of like barnstorming. Yeah. A little okay. bit. Yeah. So you mentioned the International League. And so for much of the 20th century, there was a third AAA level league called the American Association. Um, and that went away, I think, in the 90s. And now, so there are going to be, I, I believe there are supposed to be 30 AAA teams. And the last time I saw, there were going to be 10 in the PCL and 20 in the in the international league. Um, is there any talk about having a third league to spread things out geographically? Not that I've heard of, or that's been reported. Um, it's one of those things that like, if you were to start minor league baseball right now and just draw things up, yeah, you might bring back the American association, uh, to create another triple a league out of whole cloth like that, I think could be kind of difficult at this stage. Um, but it, it seems like it's going to be one league that Eastern league, whether it's still called the IL or not, we're going to have to see, but that one that's of the East Coast and the Midwest um, is going to be bigger than the one on the, the West Coast. Um, that's going to be fascinating to see how that's going to work from a scheduling purpose. Like how many times is Worcester now going to have to play Memphis and Nashville? Because that's still a trek in itself. It's a little yeah. closer than Tacoma for sure, but it's still a trek. Um, so that that part's going to be fascinating. That's one of the things I'm really actually looking forward to this year is just getting used to all these changes and seeing the Memphis Redbirds play the Buffalo Bisons. Like that was only a game we would see in the AAA national championship. Now we get to see it. and nobody else might enjoy it as much as I do, but it's still going to be very funny to me. Well, and now Sugarland and St. Paul are going to be part of your, uh, part of your jurisdiction as well, which they were, exactly. they were outside of that before. And I understand those are a couple of beautiful facilities. Yeah. And I know people in Minnesota are thrilled about St. Paul for obvious reasons. Like you can yeah. walk if you really wanted to from St. Paul to uh, the twin stadium. Um, so having them involved is going to be great for everybody. You want to talk about quick call-ups, you know, somebody right. slips and falls, you could have a reliever up in 15 <laughs> minutes. It's not going to be a big deal. Um, so that that's going to be great. I know Ben is really 
excited about some of that stuff. Uh, he gets to travel, as you guys talk to him, travel to every ballpark, and he's got so many he has to add between St. Paul, Sugarland, Somerset, um, some of these places that were outside our jurisdiction now. And from my aspect, just seeing how these parks play in player development, you yeah. talk about some of these more extreme places. Um, how is a St. Paul going to play compared to other AAA parks? I'm going to have to find out, and I, and I don't have the answer to that. And that's one of the fun things about this job is not having the answer, watching it play out, and then getting the answer afterwards. So what you were just talking about brought a memory to mind. When we went to the, the winter meetings, the first like evening we were there, we were just kind of walking around trying to get our bearings down there, and we ran into baseball Brit. Um, oh, yeah. And we were talking to him about, okay, well, what do you plan on doing this year? Because last the year before, in 2019, he visited all the major league ballparks, like sleeping on people's sofas and all this. Well, his plan for the 2020 season was going to be that he was going to go. We had heard that minor league baseball was thinking of contracting. That first list of teams had come out. And so his plan was to go visit all of those ballparks in their in their last year of of theoretically having affiliated baseball to talk to people and cover what happens in these small towns around baseball, how it, it weaves in with the fabric of the culture of the city uh, and, and what it means to that, that, that community. Uh, and I, I really liked that idea. I, I wish that he would have had a chance to do it. I'm, I'm a little bit, you know, I'm a little bit bitter that we didn't get to take that journey with him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that was a great project for him, especially coming off that 2019. The other thing about that that's interesting to me now, I, I honestly hadn't thought about that in a long time. A lot has happened between our <laughs> last, last time I heard about Joey's. Seems like a long uh, time ago. It does. It seems like years ago now, five years ago specifically. Um, but that list that initially came out of these were the 42 teams that could potentially lose affiliation, that changed so much since then. There are some teams that obviously are still on there, like the Abbey League. But um, yeah, I, I think that would have been interesting to hear a, about that and then find out some of these teams that still stuck around anyway. Like thought thought they were going to yeah. lose affiliation. Daytona Tortugas, for example, that's one team that jumps out to me. They were really worried about losing Jackie Robbins in ballpark. Yeah. I was worried about that too. It's sticking around. That's great for minor league baseball. That's great for the people of Daytona and Florida, keeping that around. So And Chattanooga as well. So we... Uh... So what happened to me a couple of years ago, my wife and I, we want to be host family members. We want to move to a small minor league city and be a host family. So I have uh, my brother, and my dad live outside of Nashville. And so we're like, well, let's look at Tennessee. So we were specifically, we set up like a four day trip around the Appy League. We were going to go to um, Elizabethton. We were going to go to see Kingsport Mets. We were going to go down and see the um, the Cardinals. Like, I can't remember their. Oh, Johnson City. The Johnson City. Like we we're gonna hit all four of those, and they're talking about their, you know, their their um, host family program. And about three days before we went to leave, everything, everything's booked. We're gonna go. Um, I call it like just to see. Hey, so what about you guys' host family program? They're like host what? Who, <laughs> like I had to explain to them what host families were, and they're right. like, we don't have that. So within like two days, we had to cancel all these hotel rooms oh, no. and make this whole other route where we flew into Nashville. Drove to Chattanooga, spent the night in Chattanooga, drove down to uh, Georgia to the uh, Rome Braves, where they actually do have a host family program. Saw a host family, uh, saw a game there. Uh, drove back up to Chattanooga, saw a game there. Went over into the Smoky Mountains, spent the day in like Smoky Mountains. Drove up to the Caddy, uh, Kodiak, Tennessee, to watch the uh, Birmingham Barons play the Tennessee Smokies. 
And they play in a historic ballpark, don't they? No, there's a there's a historic ballpark in Birmingham that's not their regular ballpark, but they play there once a year, I think. Right. It's a Rick it's classic. An old Negro League ballpark, yeah. right? Right. Yep. And then ended up going to Chattanooga and uh it was just it was a crazy four day and then we finally ended up over at uh, Jacksonville and I saw my brother and my dad and so that was a that was a great trip took. I don't know why. Yeah. No, <laughs> I mean listen, I'm I am a sucker for minor league road trip stories. That that's something we did at the beginning of the pandemic was like, hey, we can't go anywhere. So we just as a staff, we all came up with like what's our dream road trip. So for me it was the Northwest. Like I, I have never been to the Northwest. I would love to go start in Vancouver work your way down or what, you know, start in the Portland area, work your way up either way. Um, and the Northwest league now becoming a full season league. Like that's still something I can do, which I'm really excited about. Yeah. My wife um, and I plan on making that trip at some point. Go up and see Chris King. To the Northwest. Yeah. Yeah. We, I, I lived in Portland for six years. I went to Oregon state. Um, and okay. so you've, you've got so many teams right up that I five corridor. Uh, right. We want to go to all 30 major league teams. So you've got, You've got the uh, the Mariners right there. Uh, we wanted to go see all the Padres affiliates. The Tri-City Dust Devils are no longer a Padres affiliate, but we might go out there just for the heck of it because we've made some friends through the yeah. podcast and through Twitter. Yep. Yeah, that's the, that's the great thing about this is, yeah, a lot of affiliations are changing. Um, but, you know, it, it, for you guys, for example, like being maybe a Sod Poodles fan, like seeing them begin yeah. and seeing where they are now, uh, you'll still feel some ownership in what, what they do next, uh, even if they're not – housing Padres uh, prospects, you know, and yeah, we're, we're sad to lose Sam Levitt as a broadcaster. Yeah. That guy's awesome. Well, so yeah. good. When he was listening to our podcast and using some of our interviews with players and using that on the broadcast. So we're going to lose Sam doing that. We have to re hook up with the guys in San Antonio and see if, uh, see if anything that we've done here can help them do their job. Well, Sam, yeah. once again, we really appreciate the time. Uh, it's getting late there in New York. And, uh, we really appreciate you taking the time. Is there anything you're working on? Is there anything you wanted to uh, to tell the folks about? Yeah. So I, actually next week I'm going to be starting a series called Prospect Projections. What I do every year is Fangraphs has what's called Steamer Projections. I, I base it off Steamer 600. Steamer 600 looks at basically how every baseball player would do over a full major league season. We'll still see if we're going to get that in 2021, obviously. But what I like about it is it puts everybody on the same playing field. So even if a guy's only seen class A, you know how he would do over 600 plate appearances. Um, So I look at the top prospects in the game through those projections. I break it down by division. We start next week. Um, Don't know if I'm going to go AL East first or NL East first, but that's going to be continuing on for the next six weeks. And as always, you know, we have – if you, if you like podcasts, if you're listening to this, hopefully you do. You like podcasts about minor league baseball. We have the show before the show. Uh, usually comes out every Thursday or Friday. Uh, our recent interview that's going to be coming out after we record this, but before you guys hear this, uh, will be with Nats number two prospect, Kate Cavalli. We get into development of players, also who they are as people, like what they work yeah. on. Cavalli shared this hilarious story about cutting his teammates' hair. Stuff like that, like stuff you won't get necessarily uh, just in little snippets after a game when we're talking about, like, how did you strike out eight over six innings? That, that little, as you guys know, yeah. like, that little extra time that you can get with to sit down with guys is really special. That's why I'm glad we do that podcast every week. It's out every week, Thursdays or Fridays. Um, and then, yeah, my tool shed columns come out every Wednesday and Friday as well. So it may be the off season, but lots, <laughs> lots of stuff happening at MLB.com. Sure. Well, we appreciate the work you guys yeah. do to keep 
to keep minor league baseball in focus all year round. And thank you so much for taking the time with us this week. Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me. This was this was a lot of fun. 